Hey everyone, this is Zach. This is the guy that chooses to be friends with Zach every day. <laughs> oh man, I'm so sorry you had such a bad time. <laughs> I wouldn't say it, it's, it wasn't Dungeons and Dragons. It was more me and my wife having a psychoanalyzing session. We're like, okay, so let's, let's really try to ping what composes Zach's palette here. And I think, I think we're learning more and more. And I think, I think this one illuminated in another side of it. So, so, so yeah, the, the thing, and if you haven't, if you just blindly listen to shows and you're subscribed, the, uh, the topic today is Halloween three season of the witch. No, no. The topic is today is why does Zach like things? <laughs> That's the actual topic of today we're going to get into. Well, maybe. Sure. Yeah. No, no, that's going to be my topic. You can okay. talk about the movie if you okay. want. <laughs> so, um, I guess first, uh, did you want to start me, me, me's, or did you want me to? Yeah, it's going to be about my friendship with Zach. Um, <laughs> I'm rethinking that every day. Um, no, uh, let's see. Yeah, no, you go ahead. Get started. Okay. I think I started last time. Gotcha. Okay. So, um, yeah. So I, I've got three quick th things. Uh, so the first is a book I read called Rabbits and All Capitals by uh, Terry Miles. Um, do you know anything about Terry Miles or or the Rabbits podcast? Mm -mm. No. Gotcha. So, um, yeah. So Terry Miles is a producer for. Uh, who puts it out let's see let's click on rabbitspodcast.com um well it's not readily available um a podcast network that puts out narrative fiction uh and, and scripted dramatized podcasts uh the one the most famous of them i think is tanis um it focuses on this this like underlying set of rules that kind of govern reality as we know it uh and rabbits is the show about a person who stumbles into that because her friend disappears literally down a rabbit hole while researching uh this game that's been played for god knows how long and supposedly the winner at the end of the game um gets a wish right um and so the podcast itself, uh, I think there's a second season. The second one's a premium thing through Stitcher that I have not listened to. The first one is genuinely creepy. Um, and, you know, this book is based in the world of that podcast. So a real good uh, bear, uh, a really good metric for determining whether or not you will like this book is listen to the first couple of episodes of rabbits uh if you do not like that show you will not like this book because this book is just more of that <laughs> it's, it's different characters but it's in the same um same kind of uh world where you know there's there's an alternate reality game being played by people who have uh, a kind of gnosis to them so like in the the show the first season of the show it's people that um have like super super deep knowledge of like classic video games for example like arcade games um so it's it's usually people who specialize in a very um not very i guess an archaic set of of 
knowledge and and practical experience with with mediums that are just not really in use anymore if that makes sense oh so this and doesn't so this doesn't can... oh okay no sorry i thought you were done there oh yeah no no so so it's a lot of it is finding easter eggs and manipulating that and um you know the the greater metaphor is people who can find the easter eggs in reality and kind of bend it to the the mm. direction that they want it to go i like the um the angle there um there's like a creepypasta element and this creepypastas normally have like a mystery. Oh, it very much is. Yeah. <laughs> and like minutia things like, you know, there's a creepypasta for like Pokemon games, you know, some kid finds like a cartridge. It's like Pokemon black or Pokemon death or something. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they notice their Pokemon's die in real life. And then, uh, you know, their Pokemon's die, they can't be revived. And then like their dog dies or something, you know, shortly after. And it's like, what? Um, yeah. I also like the niche, because that's that's also a niche thing, but hooking in with the niche knowledge, like that's a great hook as well. One for like exploring the element of mystery, which I think is always really great for stories. Oh, yeah. And um, also, you know, hooks in with nerds, like, you know, because that's what we do. We have our niches, you know, whether it's medieval armor, you know, worn in this time period or et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like one of the, the characters, both in the, in the book and in the, the first season of the show is this guy that runs this old, like barcade, right. Mm. That suspiciously only has like a handful of people in it <laughs> at any one time. Um, so it's like, how is this guy successful? Right. But he had like, they, they name check that, uh, Oh yeah, it's probably a joke, but he has a Polybius machine like in the corner of <laughs> this bar like and i don't know if you're familiar with polybius that that whole like creepy pasta or whatever but mm -hmm. the listener can get google polybius if they're so inclined um yeah but no there, there's just a level of creep in it like in the show there's a um there's a section where they're discussing they're they're, they're hunting down these uh it's got a one button and a joystick okay it's great Wait, Sorry, what? I, I, oh, the Polybius machine? Yeah, like a mock-up of the arcade machine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, one button and a stick. Um, yeah, who who knows what the men in black were doing with that machine. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, like, like they, they, there's a bunch of really creepy, like, anachronistic things. Like, if... Uh, they're, they're discussing a painting that someone has in their, their collection... Uh, like in a in a uh, like an art show and it's or like a curated experience and it's it's dated because the painter has long since died and it's dated from like the early 1800s but in the painting there is very clearly like like a gestapo officer just in the background like mm -hmm. something like so incongruous that's also it's like no we know what that looks like that's not one of these like I see the face of, of the Virgin Mary and like baked bread. This is, <laughs> this is a very stylized, very like direct uh, thing that is in this, this painting that it should not be. <laughs> mm -hmm. And that's always good. Like that's what I've always really appreciated by um, like pseudo reality yeah. kind of genres is that you get to take normal elements and 
by making them incongruous, like once you set up mystery, you set up uh, intrigue, um, you set up awe, also an element of horror, you know? So oh, yeah. it's, it's a really potent mix. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's a really, really good blend. Um, so yeah, I, I recommend that book. I do recommend that people, before you plunk down 20 or so dollars for the, because I, I think it's only in hardcover right now. But, uh, you know, before you buy it, um, maybe give the podcast a couple of episodes worth because they, they're very short episodes. They're not like two hour episodes. <laughs> they're like 20 to 30 minutes because there's a lot of scripting and a lot of Foley work that, that goes into them. Um, so, yeah, give give those episodes a, a, a listen. And uh, if you like it, dive down the rabbit hole of the book. <laughs> um the other thing that I did was uh, trying to decide which we'll probably spend more time talking about. Okay, so I watched this show called Snuffbox. Sometimes you'll see it as Barry and Fulcher's Snuffbox. It's uh, a... It's... I would call it a dark sitcom. Um, but it's, it's English. Um, so, you know, it's six episodes and they're like 20 minute episodes. It's not very long to get through. Um, but it's, it's Matt Berry and Rich Fulcher and they play as versions of themselves. Like, uh, Matt Berry used to like doing, um, and shows that he was in kind of like, like in uh, the mighty boosh only in the world of this show. Matt Berry plays a hangman who is the high executioner to the King of England. And then Andy Fulcher, who is an America or Rich Fulcher, who is his uh, assistant is also American. So you've got this culture clash thing. Also, how did a guy like that become assistant to the high executioner to the King of England? But whatever. Um, the. So a lot of it is set in. Uh, what is the word? It's uh, it's like country club, but not. Uh, let's see, and it's not just it's a private pub, uh, gentleman's club. So it's a gentleman's club for hangmen throughout the country, right? Um, but it's also still that level of weird, kind of surreal, abstracted reality that. If you've seen the Mighty Boosh, it kind of delves into. Um, if you've seen uh, Mr. Show, does it a lot as well, where it's like, yes, there are sketches and they theoretically have something to do with the main plot of an episode, but it just kind of wanders in and out of them with no clear delineation of what is a sketch and what is reality and... I, I don't know if my wife agrees with me or not, but after watching it, I came to the conclusion that, oh, these guys are dead and in purgatory, right? <laughs> like, they're they're just living the same day over and over and over and over and going through their past, right? <laughs> um, but no, it's, it's uh, an interesting... Um, interesting uh, show. Uh, it's it's not one that we get a whole lot here. Like you you might get one. Like uh, I think you should. Well, no, I think you should leave is just sketches. Like there's no framing narrative around it. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's a, an interesting series. It's very funny. It's very dark because yeah. Well, I mean the episodes open with you know Matt Berry executing someone. <laughs> 
Um, and then just kind of casually going down a hall and going into a, a, a gentleman's club. <laughs> like you do. Yeah, just like you do. It's just very nonchalant. Just, yeah, no, I'm just going to hang this guy. We're going to be talking about, um, you know, the difference between um, the genitalia of American versus European women while while we're hanging someone and continue the conversation in the pub. And then a sketch will play out. <laughs> like um, you do. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's out of, it's very left field type of humor that, um, he doesn't do it so much anymore. Um, cause you know, Matt Berry is on, uh, what we do in the shadows that show and he's fantastic. Uh-huh. At it. But this is, I think early enough in his career that he was still kind of just doing wild experimental bullshit. <laughs> like, have you ever seen uh, mighty Boosh yourself? Mm-hmm. so it used to air on on um i think it used to air on adult swim but so the first season is and mighty boosh is the name of the uh the comedy group that's that's uh julian barrett and noel fielding and yeah. noel fielding is a host on great british bake-off now but uh so mighty boosh is I think three seasons, maybe four. And one of the, like the, the, the series I think starts off where Fielding and Barrett are like security guards at a zoo. And then the second episode starts with them like living on, I think they're like living on the moon. And there's one of the apes, one of the people that, that played one of the apes in the zoo, like just, you know, in an ape costume is just in the house with them. Like, and it, it's, it, it's all like in its own continuity, but none of it really makes any sense. Um, Snuffbox is a little bit more grounded and concrete than that. Um, but it, it's still very surreal and kind of uses a lot of dream logic. Um, in transitioning between like framing devices and, and sketches. Um, so yeah, check that out. If you like weird British comedy shit. <laughs> oh. um, and then this last one I think is probably what we'll spend a lot of time talking about um, is uh, I, I played through the, the Arkham trilogy. Oh, okay. Um, finally, I finally managed to make my way through it. It's, I'm not going to say bad. It's. It's games are not made like this today. And I think it's because game designers have learned some lessons for making games mm-hmm. this way. Um, mm-hmm. Like I can definitely see in. I think the first one came out in 08 or 09. Um, how kind of like hanging from the ceiling and like going into predator mode and shit like was unique because I, I did play the first one when it first came out and it, it you know about was, asylum yeah asylum yeah. um you you did feel like batman <laughs> it's like yeah this is all i gotta be quiet okay now i'm gonna drop down on these guys smoke bomb and then fucking martial arts my way through a room of people like the combat yeah, was cool. yeah mm-hmm. like it's it's very cool um arkham city is a little bit too big i think <laughs> it's big uh, uh what's the, the last one is that night yes arkham knight 
Um, night, night is a buffet, and I, I gather probably the one you'd like the least. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I How know, did I know? <laughs> no, I, I do. I, I will say I do like, um, like a, a, a few years back, I read the, um, I'm, I'm a sucker for different interpretations of, of characters. And so as kind of a, I don't know if you would say it's necessarily just marketing material for it, but DC put out a comic line. It was the Batman Arkham comic line. And it was the characters and the storyline of the games. But it, it wasn't um, a comic version of the games themselves, right? Mm. Because those are video games. It just, it was like a comic line, but it was just the stylization of the characters in this. Which, I don't know about you, I really liked because, you know, like, Bane looks like a fucking monster. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the, the, so the character wild. designs are solid. Yeah. They're also they're also stylized for the world, so yeah. they're all very coherent with one another. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. The um the in the comic is good. They it was all in one volume, and I think I got rid of it because the spine started tearing. Um, mm. like it was hardback and a sewn binding, but it was also eleven hundred pages, and so oh, wow. <laughs> it was this big heavy thing that I read like once or twice, and the comic line was awesome. Um, I will say the character um, designs in Arkham Knight are really, really good. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the idea of the Arkham Knight. Um, that being said, I, I, f- <laughs> so I know a lot of people like the games. Um, mm-hmm. I think mainly my problem with the third one is that they tried to jam everything that was good about the first or second game mm-hmm. into it. And so it it felt both overwhelming and I guess underdeveloped. Like, yeah, there's there's driving there's uh, vehicle chases and chases where you get uh in your your Batmobile and you've got these rockets. But it doesn't really feel like it doesn't really have any sort of like viscerality to it um Mm -hmm. it just kind of feels like you're hitting a button like playing in 64 mario kart (laughs) you know only mario kart actually you can feel the bumps in it Mm -hmm. and you know that the controller vibrates but it's there's no it's like they they didn't spend enough time fine-tuning the details they're just like okay we have this in the engine we're going to put it all together and then it's going to be in the game boom next next section or whatever oh stealth yeah yeah we got stealth in here we'll just grab that from arkham asylum put that in a mm. new engine and boom that one's already ready. <laughs> you know it's like yeah there's no fine tuning to it um well i think i think my experience playing the game was that they wanted to offer a buffet of different experiences for people because they were like okay this is going to be our last one ostensibly yeah. Let's bring everything that we've had before and make this a you know, make this a game that will please, you know, the fans. And then I th- I think if you're if you're like, oh, Arkham Asylum was really great, if you feel like I want a game just like that, no, play another game. If you know you play uh um, yeah. the second one, it's like, oh well, yeah, that built on it also really changed up what was in Arkham Knight because you're expanding out. Yeah. And now we've expanded out even more. So I think if 
it's more like a like a Batman sandbox rather than like yeah. okay here's here's a here's a particular focused kind of game we want you to play and here's how we're going to craft the experience. I think it's more like okay go be Batman and, and that's <laughs> that's kind of what they're, they're thinking. Yeah. You might feel the same way if you play the Spider-Man game. I don't know if you've played that yet. Uh I haven't. It's on my machine. I haven't made my my way to it yet. It's um, it's there's a very strong narrative in that game, just like there is a knight that yeah. you can choose to like follow. But it's like go be Spider-Man. <laughs> you know. Um Which I mean, I gotta be honest, I prefer like the um the Spider-Man games to all of the Batman games. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe it's just a, a, a theming thing for me but i don't know very the, the, dark game too dark Arkham night is a very dark and i just mean that from yeah. like a color palette sense like oh yeah no there's you better like, have some good contrast on your tv otherwise you know i yeah the uh the gamma i had to boost a fair amount because again i have color blindness and there's no these games are from an era even though when did night come out Night came out in 2015, so it really has no excuse. But, like, there's no accessibility functions provided in the game. And it's like, no. yeah, I know, like, it's Batman and it needs to be dark. But, like, I don't know if I can't distinguish my character from the blackness of the wall. No. <laughs> that does me no good. Like, I think it's it's going to be a couple years before developers stop saying fuck you to you and other people. Yeah. Accessibility things. Which it's funny, like the the whole reason that I was actually able to, because like I don't have complete color blindness, but it's enough to like throw me off when I'm like looking at colors on a screen, for example. Um, mm. But like the the thing that cemented it was playing. Weirdly enough, Call of Duty is the most accommodating because they have multiple different like loadouts for what the what the screen can look like. <laughs> mm-hmm. from how you take in information from how you see the street because they really want you to play <laughs> well yeah they want your money yeah, yeah. and so, they're, so also, yeah, like, they're hitting like a huge audience yeah yeah and like they've like it's funny the fan base for that can be kind of toxic and so you wouldn't expect that understatement but yeah the most accommodating series to be the one with the most assholes <laughs> yeah no, for sure because it's really it's really those big it's having the big development budgets and having a whole department that focuses yeah. on accessibility like ubisoft does the same thing yeah um in a lot of their games because they have the budget for that oh yeah um and it's, it's appreciated just, and i know it's yeah. a huge like like budget sink right but you know rocksteady is uh, who's rocksteady owned by i think they're owned by warner brothers uh, uh i can't remember yeah they're owned by warner brothers so like mm-hmm. you know i mean i i guess i can kind of give the first one a pass even though that's an 09 <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like that people had 3d down like you and and it doesn't even have to be wide reaching like i'm just even even something as far as like uh having something you could toggle on and off where yes there is there's a a line around batman when he's Mm. standing in front of something that is within a certain color palette range of whatever his costume is Mm -hmm. um 
like I'm not even talking about flipping certain colors. Like that's just to me, it would be the easiest thing because your your uh, system is rendering all that anyway. But I mean, I'm I'm not a video game developer. It's just <laughs> something that makes me kind of salty when I'm playing a game that's kind like modern enough that it, like because I I don't expect any accommodation from Nintendo from like 1985. <laughs> right? Like that's a little bit extreme, but like. I don't know. It's Batman. You know, everyone wants to play Batman. <laughs> yeah, it's really just a it's a development focus and time thing. It's yeah. the same thing with like at my work making like web, you know, design like accessibility things. Like it requires just focus yeah. in that regard. And there's governmental standards put in place um, in regards to like. ADA accessibility and that yeah. that mostly hits for like governmental websites in that right. regard. Right. Um, like screen readers and screen captures and stuff. But in order to have that at like a mid to smaller size project if they don't already have a department, it needs to be they need to have someone on board, like as part of the team who's like, okay, we we're going to do this. Um, like this is going to be a focus of ours. And if it's, if it's not somebody who's already familiar with someone who has that and like needing accessibility, yeah. or if it isn't someone themselves, then that conversation doesn't enter into the table. And I, I would imagine. Probably. Yeah. I mean, which, yeah, I mean, I, I can, I can get that for, for some developers, but like, I'm looking at Rocksteady right now, they have almost 300 people in their team. Mm -hmm. Um, I know it takes a lot of people to make a video game, but like, <laughs> mm -hmm. I don't know. They're owned by Warner Brothers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, know? I'm not making excuses. Um, I'm just telling you why it doesn't happen. Like if someone... Oh, yeah, yeah, no, no, no. Room, yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah. And I, I, I get that. Because like the, um... And that's what what I was saying is is you know like I'm I'm not expecting every single thing to come out mm -hmm. to have it. It would be nice, but um, you know if if Call of Duty can do it, I feel like Batman and Warner Brothers can do it. Yeah, <laughs> I can add um, filters on videos, you know, with ease. You know, just pre-apply filters. Yeah. You know, for like gamma coloration or even models. You know. Yeah. Um, I think it it requires like representation within like any other issue that's about oh sure know, sure whatnot accessibility or representation to different cultures and yeah etc within games or um people with different issues you know like um capcom they're uh you know they don't really brandish um with uh God, what is that series the zombie mall fighting series Dead Rising? Dead Rising, yeah. Yeah. They they couldn't really have psychopaths, you know, in the game because I mean there's actually people who live with, you know Psychopathy or sociopathy. Yeah. 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 And so it's a little uh insensitive. Um and you know, it's requires someone to be like, Oh yeah, this is not you can't do this or you know, this <laughs> is really <laughs> this is very marginalizing for people with mental health issues. Right. <laughs> Um, and so I think it requires more people to have that 
if it's because like let's say you have an apartment you have an apartment like at ubisoft obviously and ea who like champion those and like that's their job and so they advocate to have that stuff within games like even uh wretched and clank i think had some features like that too yeah right yeah mm-hmm. yeah you know it requires departments and focuses um or it requires somebody there who's like representing you know those people based on like knowledge or advocacy yeah so well i'm and- just saying like i don't i don't know how how that's going to change if until that issue is addressed. Sure. Yeah, and I mean, I, it, it definitely like like you're saying it. The there has to be an interest in it too, because, um, you know, and this is kind of, this is off subject because I haven't played this game relatively recently. But um, did you ever play Hellblade when it came out? Mm-hmm. So Hellblade for people who are listening who aren't aware. Oh, I want to. Yeah, I haven't played it. So yeah, it's it's an example of something that I would say, like, yeah, Dead Rising having psychopaths in it, there's really no way to compassionately do that, right? Mm-hmm. Hellblade is about a... Uh, I think she's Irish, maybe pre-Irish. Uh, picked. So she's, she's uh, picked. Um, and she also is, uh, has schizophrenia and there's no heads up display in the game. So you're never really certain of what you're interacting with in the world. Um, Mm. it's, it's a fantastic game. It's it like, it's a game that's, that's whole purpose is exploring, uh, mental health and, and processing issues. Um, as a side effect of that, it also has great accessibility features in it. Um, you know, and Ninja Theory has just over a hundred people working for them. Mm-hmm. So like it, it can be done. Um, it's just, like you said, it's, it's largely, I think an interest issue. I, I, I think at the scale that some of these companies are operating, like it's, mm-hmm. it's a hundred percent just issue with, or yeah. like, like really just, just, uh, having compassion and caring about it yeah, <laughs> really yeah because the, like they have the budgets at these levels you know mm-hmm. they could a hundred percent do it they're just like eh, well. <laughs> i yeah. don't know anyone that that affects so why <laughs> it's it's always funny because i think um what do they call that they call that um you know uh dispassion by um uh, it's um like the passion to ignorance of it, you know, if, because if the conversation doesn't come up in the room, because the worst thing, I think, I don't think there could be conversations like, okay, yeah, let's think about putting accessibility features into this. The crux of it, I think, is that that conversation doesn't even come up, you know? Yeah. Like, I, I don't think there's, in, in a lot of these games, they're like, oh, now nah, let's not do that you know it's almost like ignorance it's not even it's like willful ignorance i guess I, I don't know how else to kind of really put it because even with um with web design stuff it's like oh oh yeah we got to make it accessible because that's part of our our thing you know we want to yeah. add that in but that is also very very closely aligned to the business interests and considerations because making something really accessible, even from a web, well, 
from a web design perspective, has other things because you have e-readers and you have tagging and et cetera. How much development time gets put into that is a direct, um, direct uh, correlation with how much business input you've gotten that this is an important feature. Because uh, you can put the bare minimum, you know, yeah. um, on other projects, you know, or you can be like, oh, well, this is like a government website. This needs to have like freaking everything, you know. Uh, this needs to be like put through a formatter. So, yeah. Um, and a lot of it too, I think, can can even come down to hardware manufacturers because you know, like Nintendo could give a shit. Um, Sony, I think they may or may not have an accessibility controller. I'm I'm unaware mm-hmm. if they do or not. But like Microsoft has has full-on kits for any type of like physical impairment that someone has to mm-hmm. playing their game um mm-hmm. i think that i i can't remember if it was wide launch or not but like there's a there's a co-pilot mode so that if you're um if you have a physical impairment and the controller does not address it you can have someone else take over for you with a separate controller for certain Mm -hmm. specified actions. So Mm -hmm. it's not even like, it's not even a matter of like taking the, um, taking the, what is it? Um, my mind's skipping, (laughs) taking, uh, the, not, not accountability, but the, um, the decision making out of out of someone's hands who may not be able physically able to like hit certain things. So like you can define what what your co-pilot can do. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I, I I think those are largely good steps being taken yeah. in making sure more people can play games. Yeah. I mean do you think there would there would be ramps everywhere if we didn't have ADA laws? You know, and that push forward. Oh yeah, let, let me <laughs> let me tell you the um, I I and even even now there's still places that aren't accessible because like oh someone hasn't brought it up to them. Hey, that's not legal. You know, you gotta you gotta change that. Yeah, well, like the um when when I was in high school, we um the, the between freshman and sophomore uh, year, um, I did a, a study abroad thing with the with a family in um, Spain. Uh, as part of a part of a group and one of my classmates um was in a wheelchair right and she had a miserable time getting around anywhere in europe what other than than um we went to berlin for a day like just like on a weekend when we were not attending school <laughs> um and like that was the most ADA friendly city that we were at, but like pretty much throughout anywhere else, because a lot of those buildings are old enough that like it would be very difficult to have any sort of mm-hmm. thing. Uh, like there were just straight up sections of the trip where she went somewhere else with chaperones because it's like you know we we spent a week in Morocco examining influences of spanish culture in morocco because there's a there's a a back and forth trade there um and yeah the hotel we were staying in there there was literally not an elevator Mm. (laughs) or a lift even um yeah no like there's 
you you can check the the accessibility of cities in America and like they're slightly better. But like I can't imagine being physically impaired and having to move around in like I don't know Tampa, for example. Mm-hmm. Um like so much of American infrastructure is just built on the ability of walking and if you don't have a car or you can't operate one, go fuck yourself is is the mentality and it sucks. Um, like I just found out a couple years ago that there's, there's a limit on how much you can own if you are, are a, a legally recognized disabled person, Mm -hmm. like drawing disability, like, and, and the amount is a, it's a laughable amount to put Mm -hmm. on someone because like that, I'm guessing it hasn't changed since whenever it went into effect and so i've been seeing a lot of people on like it's accessibility twitter being like hey um technically the wheelchair that i use puts me over the threshold for this wealth count (laughs) so a lot of times you have people whose like brother technically owns the van that operates that that they operate because it cannot be in their name what a pain in the ass. That is, yeah, it's, it's such a bummer. Anyway, <laughs> that was pretty far afield from our original discussion. Um, yeah, no, like the, the so the uh, the Batman Arkham games, I know there's a lot of them. Um, I just played through the main three uh, in the trilogy. The Kill the Justice League, I think, is part of that universe, technically, that's coming out. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah the suicide squad game um and yeah it's fun i the uh i don't know they they just they don't really make games like this anymore and i think it's largely because developers have learned okay no we need to zero in on an experience and not throw everything at the wall and keep it um what was your experience with Arkham Knight then? Did did you enjoy it or was I it? Did. I think I think I beat it. Um, there's I don't really get heavy into like collecting everything, so mm. I didn't go and like collect all the Riddler's clues. Normally, I just play the narrative. I play around with the uh, uh, the environment, you know, exploring some different situations. Um, I like being able to sneak. I like some of the action heavy elements. I like kind of the cutscenes and narrative sort of um, sections that they had as well. Um, so yeah, I, yeah, the I story it. the story is solid. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think if you try to take in a game like that, I'm like I'm like, oh, I gotta do. Oh, let me let me get everything I can experience in this game. Then that's just too much to swallow in, unless you're just looking for value for money yeah. and you want to be playing this game for a really long time. Um, for me, you know, I love exploring the game, fresh and new. Um, the uh, the um, the um, what is it? Uh, Batmobile. Yeah. So the Batmobile, I thought, was really, really funny because actually playing the Batmobile in-game for most of the um, segments yeah. was really great. Sorry, i gotta, I got to move something real quick here.
right, folks, I noticed my guitar was resonating with my voice. Um, so I figured that would probably get picked up because yeah. I moved it recently. <laughs> so some of the tutorial segments I found harder than actually uh, for the tutorials for the Batmobile, I found harder than actually utilizing it in-game. That is true. And I was like, this is this is really, really weird. <laughs> <laughs> that Why is, is this so difficult well, to do? Especially when they first introduce you to it, because they just throw you wave after wave of enemy, and it's like, mm-hmm. wait a minute, I don't know if I want to be in this, and then the game is like nowhere near as difficult as the tutorial. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. It's really funny uh, incongruence. I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, you know, if that was just baked in before, and then they kind of... Uh, leveled it out later because um, yeah that that first or second tutorial where you have to like destroy these things on like a timer um, and I'm, I'm as far as the gamer I'm not very competitive so I think there's certain mechanics and stuff that really align with competitive gamers so there's um, probably some people that you know completionist you know get through the timer get everything you know excel etc done and so that kind of challenge is really engaging and I, I do get engaged with challenge um i'm not the kind of person who wants to grind at something um for too too long to get that dopamine rush yeah. just because i can get i can get dopamine other you know other ways as well <laughs> <laughs> but I, I respect that game style and that, that game playing um you know as a uh is a long-time gamer. So I, I enjoyed the game a lot. Um, it's probably one of those things, too, like if you drop it and then you have to pick it back up and you have to remember how to fight and how to like get all the mechanics or how you fly and move around, that can also be overwhelming. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I, if you're going to play the these, I would recommend playing them in one go. <laughs> Um, oddly uh city is the largest and i was reading online that they were wanting city to be even larger (laughs) because like there's a point where you can get up in in city high enough to see to the mainland in gotham and Mm. you were supposed to initially be able to get in either the like the bat sub or maybe the glider and get over there and they were just like nah no, we're, we we don't have time to make it this large. It's like, yeah. Jesus Christ, I would not want to play that game <laughs> if it were any larger. <laughs> uh, um, yeah. And it's fun, like, if you are going for completionist, um, this does have a lot of value added. Um, I will say City is probably a nightmare to complete. Um, like, I was looking online because I, I, I was speaking with with like my brother and with like Stuart um, about city, because there are these niche alleyways you can go down and like pick up a ringing phone and it's a serial killer taunting you and you have to track down his victims. And it's like, well, what happens if you start that track and then you don't ever address anything else? Does he just keep killing all of these people? And turns out, yes, the answer is yes. Once you start it, you have to complete it. Um, Yeah. That's fun. But yeah, like there there are some events that you have to be in literally the right place at the right time to start. Um like the the it's a random generated phone box that rings wherever you're at in the city. But it's not mm-hmm. tied to your location. So you like it's it's just a, a random number generator. You just have to be happen have to happen to be there to even start the mission. <laughs> and yeah. so it's like 
man, it's just mind-bogglingly big. Yeah, that's that's value added. Value added if you really want to like get yeah a ton out of the game as far as that gameplay. So yeah, I could see it. Um, um but yeah, yeah, no, that's that's me for this week. Uh, let's see. I have to prepare more. <laughs> um, me, me, no, I don't really do anything particularly interesting. Okay. Um, I uh, built a, um, well, put together a weight bench, which um, be, yeah, I tried to be using, just finished doing that yesterday. Got a guitar pedal or two in that I'm clanking around with. Um, I have too many amps and cabinets kind of squished into one corner. So hopefully going to be, we'll be moving next month. Um, so I think I'll get a little more space to kind of space this stuff out oh, nice. and, um, utilize uh, a bit more of the area, um, that isn't quite so cramped. Um, I think, no, had, a quite a few initial calls for some looking for another position at this time. Hmm. Um, so I've had quite a few calls, setting up interviews and other more and stuff like that um, to kind of look into other positions. It's a uh, interesting space, which I mentioned to Zach when you're talking about utilizing technology and the um, the moral quandary of like what your technology is being utilized for. You know, there was a. Uh, AI facial recognition software company that was looking to hire. And I was like, I don't really know if I want to, <laughs> I want to be involved in this. You should hire um, it and sabotage it. <laughs> you, know, you know, taking pictures that people posted on Facebook and then uh, pinging them uh, when they, I don't know, they sell some marijuana in a, in a state that still doesn't allow them to do that. Yeah. Um, and being able to take like someone's ring footage to like ping them for that. I don't really know. You know, that's, that's a very curated example, Yeah. but there's, you know, all different kinds of applications for this sort of stuff. And, um, you know, there's countries where, you know, I know China has that pretty heavily implemented like across board. And oh yeah. All of their major cities and they have their own like governmental databases for this kind of stuff and they've been working with um that kind of recognition and keeping track of people's activities in order to align with like a social score you know that you have generated um, guys black so... mirror is not advice on how to run your country <laughs> it is it really is um so there's just a lot of implications for stuff like that even yeah. if the technology is really cool to develop in um or you know work on and so it just uh puts you in those kind of situations where you're like oh do i want to do this or even if it isn't like something that's inherently bad in nature it's like well i mean what industry is this supporting and whatnot so yeah it's a lot of questions related to that and then there's also just i just need to make a living like every other slob out here who isn't living off of compound interest um, so just choices have to be made 
but that's all pretty boring stuff. Um, well, like the, um, I do want to point out anyone who's listening, um, do not, do not submit your photos for those. Like, what will you look like in 20 years apps? Um, those are a hundred percent being used by law enforcement. <laughs> um, that's, that's all they're doing that with they're they're scanning those things so that they can look for people like you said breaking laws across state lines Um, don't post photos of yourself wearing a mask because then they can match it up for protests (laughs) depending on the city you're protesting in (laughs) um yeah no the, the the facial ai learning stuff is wild and terrifying to me yeah. Like part of me wishes that we're just like, no, you can't develop this. Like this is this is this breaks rights <clears throat> right to privacy um for you guys to be developing this stuff. <laughs> yeah, and you know, the the develop the advent of social media from uh, a legalese perspective has um erased that because you, you can post your own image of your face, you know, hey, I'm here, whatever. And so then the the argument is, well, I mean, you already posted it online. I'm just sticking it in my database. Yeah. <laughs> Why it's do you like... think my Instagram is just filled with album covers <laughs> of the things that I happen to be listening to? It's rare that I post photos of myself. <laughs> you know, well, Zach's face would break algorithms all by itself. So. Oh, man, the variety of facial hair stylings over the years. Yeah. <laughs> So I don't know if that's a, a squirrel on his chin, like after like a blowout, or <laughs> is, is that actually a human male? Is he cosplaying um, as Kratos? Who knows? Yeah. As a very particular version of Kratos. Yeah. The big, big beefy bear Kratos. Yeah. <laughs> You'd be the uh, the two double war axes Kratos. Yeah, the, um, you know? the, the, the boy Kratos. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's that's pretty much my thing. It's rather boring, but I have felt better this week than in past weeks. Just thinking about other opportunities and other places to um, move myself, and you know, just kind of the basic day to day living of life. So that's given me a little more energy for you know the kind of passions and hobbies yeah. that we like to um, indulge in in order to kind of fill some spirit of life i well if you're interested in coming back to georgia meta is hiring uh developers for the the meta quest here in georgia yeah yeah it's just georgia's its own little thing um i really really enjoy the um the cultural vibrancy of atlanta yeah um because i think it's it's I currently live in Nashville. Nashville has its own social scene and musical scene, but the variety I feel that you get with a place that has an international airport and people from all different cultures and business interests and yeah, the the structure that can kind of live off of that, you know. Um, I haven't found many electric cowboys here. Uh, <laughs> You're in the Nashville area. I don't know if I'm going to find them, uh, but you just you get you get some more cultural vibrancy, I think, from a size perspective. Yeah. 
but also from like an infrastructure perspective. But there's a lot of other stuff that I just really don't like. Uh, traffic is abysmal. Oh, oh man. Yeah. You couldn't design. There are other places, obviously, in the states and internationally where traffic is worse. But that's it's never it's that kind of comparison is always, I don't think, very fruitful. Because no. it's like it's like okay, getting punched in uh, the scrotum by like a a world heavyweight Mike Tyson, like at his prime may not feel as bad as someone jabbing hot knives in your eyes, right? <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't make one feel better than the other while you're experiencing it, though. No. That's sort of <laughs> relative valuation. So, yeah, there's other places that have worse traffic, but I really hate just sitting and waiting uh, in a car. Um, and that's just, man, I really hated that. Well, the um, problem with, with Atlanta recently is that interesting diversity you're talking about um, is slowly mm-hmm. but surely getting um, bulldozed and spread out. Mm-hmm. Um, Mixed use. Oh, is that? Oh, I, I feel like I'm getting triggered every time I hear mixed use development. Yeah, it's, it's um, well, and it's funny, like they're, they're, sections of town that you can go through and i i remember going through when when like we were in college or college age and them looking one way and going oh yeah that's that's just how how buildings and storefronts and things are set up uh just in the south right um Mm -hmm. and slowly but surely the the la transplants have kind of like stores have started to look more and more southern california Mm-hmm. Um, the way that apartments are designed are slowly becoming smaller and smaller and <laughs> look like they would fill it, fit in in downtown LA. And yeah. like, I, Atlanta is not LA. Like, stop. Well, this, this, the stratification that you get with, um, you know, people who, uh, you know, can afford like, like a full, like just a full on scholarship ride at, at Georgia Tech yeah. on their program, they get pushed through their PhD and master's, yeah. and same thing with like Emory and et cetera. So you get these apartments in these areas that are just wildly out of line with the valuation of the rest of the area that's surrounding. Oh, absolutely. Um, and so, wow! Like looking at some of the rents and stuff in some of these more uh, developed areas, it's insanity and it's insanity because people can pay them there is the capital yeah there are well like i i have a friend that um she owns a house in decatur and there was one year where her her home taxes like i forget the exact number but it's it wasn't too far off from around thirty thousand dollars and she was like what the hell is this and like (laughs) like went to the tax office and was just like what the hell? Like, look at my, like, where is this coming from? And sure enough, mm-hmm. it's because they, it was right when they had started putting in all those like multi-million dollar homes in Decatur. And they're like, oh, okay, no, we're going to knock it back. It's going to go up a little bit, but it's not going to, it's not going to be $30,000. We thought, we, sorry, we thought you were one of the really, really nice homes. We apologize. And yeah. You're just uh, like, don't, do not play with <laughs> Do not play with my tax money that way, sir. 
Um, that that is Jesus. that is not a, a a good look. But yeah, no, the um, and and it's it's very. I will say it, it's very frustrating to um, you know, when when my wife and I were looking for a home to be giving tours to, uh, because of the film industry stuff in Atlanta, like it's it's fairly common for me to guide people around who are scouting locations for movies and shows and things like that. And to a person here, these location scouts, just making small talk, not really meaning anything by it, but could, yeah, no, my, my wife or my, my husband or whoever, um, we, you know, we lived for years in New York and LA and then we came here and then everything's so cheap. And it's like, well, fucker, you, you are the reason why <laughs> people are out here have to go so far out of the city to live. Because... <laughs> it's so cheap. We bought this one place and then we bought another home. Just kind of, just as like to streamline our revenue, our monthly revenue income. It's like, mm. <laughs> here's this other location we can burn it down for you real quick <laughs> yeah. it's uh it's it's a pickle um yeah well like there was know. a report where the the housing market in uh in atlanta his prices have shot up like like two or three hundred percent ish in the past like year and a half just because that's that's what they're doing. They're just making more stuff. And, and like you see it, if you if you look in like the tax history of, of places when you're you're looking for a house. Um, you'll see where someone like six months before it went back on the market, because I, I think there's a there's a timeline uh, that you have to adhere to before you can actually put it back on the market. You can see where a house is built for or bought for like fifty thousand dollars six months before and then it's on the market and when you're looking for it it's suddenly three or four hundred thousand dollars it's like what did you possibly do to this house to make it worth it <laughs> that is insane that that is we held, we held on to it and then we sold for six months yeah it's like okay yeah like i'm i'm sure you you probably ripped up carpet and you legally had to change the, the the plumbing or the wiring but maybe not depending on the county um what did you possibly do to increase its value that much uh, <laughs> short of just bulldozing and building a brand new one <laughs> uh, anyway i cut anyway. you off sorry no no it was uh it's great to commiserate together about yeah. um, the inaffordability of living. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I'd say, yeah, I, I didn't really do anything exciting. Um, I can't think of uh, anything in particular. Um, I've been watching that basketball show. Is it Winning Time? Is that what it's called? But we can talk about that like another Mimi Me Time. I have a bit of conversation about that. Oh, okay. Huh. Yeah. So next time on Mimi Okay, mm -hmm. gotcha. Well, uh, let's dive into Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. I will get through the backstory, and then Richard can make fun of me for thinking that this is probably the best Halloween movie. Um. Uh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. It's, it's, a, it's a solid movie of its own kind. It's not really a Halloween movie, Zach. Only in name. Okay, so so the, <laughs> the um so 
came out in 82 everyone always misplaces the first like four or five halloween movies is in the 70s but like the first one came out yeah. in 77 like yeah it's crazy it, i think this the second one may have come out in the 80s i i want to say it was 80 when it came yeah no halloween 2 came out in 81 um so this is the one that you'll hear a lot of people say that, uh, oh, yeah, it's the one without Michael Myers. Um, it technically has Michael Myers in it. Um, <laughs> there's a clerk yeah. watching a television and it's playing Halloween. <laughs> there are two. I think two, there's at least there's two Halloween background segments. Yeah. So he's technically in it, but no, like it, he, he's not in this one. Um, it was, so the budget for this was two and a half million and it made back 14 and a half, um, in box office, uh, Rotten Tomatoes is 39%. My favorite, uh, review of this film (laughs) comes from the New York times who said that it managed to not only, or it managed the not easy feat of being anti-children anti-capitalist anti-television and anti-irish all at the same time (laughs) which is a weird criticism and not completely wrong but i I feel like it misses maybe what the movie was going for um and uh it was also the does the movie maybe miss what it was going probably um the it was the uh, last halloween film that universal distributed until halloween 2018 so for 36 years this movie put a stink in the mouth of universal so for 30 years you like pitches came and universal was just like no no (laughs) no (laughs) no no we are not we have played this game before sir um so john carpenter and deborah hill did not want to do this originally um Mm. they because they they wanted to have a franchise of Halloween movies. Um, anthology. Yeah, yeah, they were in, it was an anthology. The, the, the idea originally was that it was an anthology series. Mm-hmm. But the first one made so much goddamn money that the second one was obviously a direct sequel to the first. And so that sets mm-hmm. precedent for the rest of the films. Um, mm-hmm. And so they, they did not want to be involved unless it was not a direct sequel to this. So... Um, you know, obviously, Halloween is most commonly known as yeah, that's the Michael Myers movie one. Um, the isn't that so weird to like just that because I feel like that is such a salient bit um, to to conceptualize the Halloween series as an anthology and to get basically derailed by your own success. Yeah, but I I can't envision a world in, in a Hollywood movie structure. Unless they're like, wow, this was made on such a shoestring budget. If it just makes a little bit more, like we get like one and a half times, then that's a success. But it isn't such a success, potentially, that someone isn't like, oh, well, yeah, we'll let you do something different on the second go. Yeah, well, like, I mean, these are still, like, Universal is just the distributor for it. So these are still, Mm -hmm. like, independent movies. Like, um... Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay, so the first Halloween, I I cannot imagine having this sort of success. The first Halloween was made for $325,000. Its box office in 1978 was $70 million. Um, 
years. That is a mind-numbing amount of success. Um, I'm surprised the franchise didn't end with Halloween 2 because they sunk two and a half. Like, I'm, I'm guessing by producer logic, they were like, well, if we give this one two and a half million dollars, we'll get two and a half million times what the first one meant. And no, like they got uh, uh, 25 and a half million in North America. So like that's a success. And so is this one. Um, in terms of money regained, but like they, there's diminishing returns at a certain point, especially when the movies take the turns that they do. Um, yeah, like and and so I'm, you know, Carpenter and, and Hill did produce this, um, so they they kind of got their way after I think the the disappointment, quote unquote, of the second one. Um, they they hired a sci-fi author named Nigel Neal to write the screenplay uh, with them producing. Yeah, this one also is more of a sci-fi than a horror movie. Yeah. Well, it isn't the screenwriter, if that's the original one that I remember hearing about, um, didn't really want to have his name attached to the movie? Yes. Yeah, he did not want his name attached to the movie because they did go through several rewrites. Um, yeah, I thought it was an oversimplification. Yeah, yeah. Um, Joe Dante was hired to direct originally, but he quit several weeks before shooting started to direct a segment in the Twilight Zone movie. Which, I, I mean, let, let me pull up and see how the Twilight Zone movie is the one that killed people. Um, so like it's got that stink on its name. Um, you mean from the flashing? Do what? Oh, you mean during production, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, no, the, it will, okay, so the Twilight Zone movie made more money, but, um, yeah, no, the Twilight Zone is the movie where that racist goes to, uh, Vietnam and is, is living as a Vietnamese person, and the legit actor carrying two children was chopped in half by a helicopter blade, because John Land, John yeah. Landis is a fucking clown and doesn't deserve to have his job. Um, it's it's real gross like anyway um so yeah dante left uh i can't imagine how good this movie would have turned out if dante was directing it instead um tommy lee wallace was the guy that they replaced him with and again this is several weeks before shooting starts um tommy lee wallace did the art and production design on the first halloween movie like that was his experience in terms of directing is he directed what you know the sets looked like <laughs> so uh let's see uh yeah did he direct anything else uh so after this he directed a movie called aloha summer in 1988 Yeah, that's the only other thing that I think Fright Night Part 2 he directed, which everyone knows Fright Night Part 2, right? Yes. No, no one knows, no one knows Fright Night Part 2. Um, so, yeah, that's that's my my preamble on Halloween 3 is that it was uh, slapped together and changed a whole lot before it saw the light of day. Um, 
yeah. So what what conclusion, I guess, did you come to about my psyche and liking this? <laughs> so I can I can to get like a nominal example of this, or just a small slice of it. All right. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say two statements. Right. Right. There's two statements. I love you. I love you. <laughs> Which of those two is more interesting to Zach? It's the second one. <laughs> it is. <laughs> yes. Because the, there's this, a thing about a movie, Zach, and, and from I'm still building up my, my dossier on, on my friend Zach, and it's 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 very long volume. <laughs> Zach finds it more interesting if you if you have a genuine delivery, like you're earnest with the delivery, but it's just a fairly typical delivery. Like it's it's what you would expect out of that situation as far as delivery-wise. Um, even if it's done really well, um, if it's just like, oh, yeah, I can see that. You know, that's exactly what I expect in the moment. Whereas if you miss the mark, like if you miss the mark, but you do it in an interesting way, Zach loves the shit out of it. I that. do. He loves it so much more. And that's that's his intensity case. That's that's where the you get the focus and the trigger. So I'm watching this movie. I'm like, okay, this misses the mark in many, many, many ways. But it does it in a way that's interesting. You could say in air quotes, depending on that. But it's, you know, they they were intentionally missing it because they were had a different execution in mind, had a different effect. This is what ends up getting burned in. And Zach's like, wow, it's so interesting how they missed the mark in this way. <laughs> it, it really is. So, like, they, <laughs> they have bizarre things happen. So, like, this movie opens up on a guy getting getting attacked by what just look like people, but turns out to be self-immolating robots. <laughs> yes. Listen to the joy out of his voice here. Do you know what the the funniest thing about this first scene is? Is when the robot um he does something with his glove, like he wipes his glove off, like to clean his hands. So that's the, the that's sets, the second scene. Yeah, and then sets himself. <laughs> Why? Yeah. Why would you do yeah. that? <laughs> Why would you bother? Part of it's part of his programming is he's got to keep his gloves clean. Be clean. I guess. Um, the the yeah. I do not understand. Like I I really want to get his out. I I think he's still alive. Um. But I want to go to a horror convention and get Tom Atkins' autograph. <laughs> because there's no reason for him to have ever been, like, the hottie leading man. Like, only John Carpenter would use him as some, some like, hot dad from, like, the 70s, yeah. right? Because he's in The yeah. Fog, too, and he plays a pretty similar role in The Fog. Like, mm -hmm. he picks up Jamie Lee Curtis and ends up just, like, hooking up with her because... He he's the hottest dad. I guess. I don't know. <laughs> he he's such a stud. He's like he's like a if if a dad tried to model himself off of Burt Reynolds without the charisma and physique, yeah. uh, and was just like a regular soccer dad, yeah. but envisioned himself as this this manly god. 
that's I feel like that character. Well, like my that. my understand, I and I don't know if this was a a direction or if this was a choice so much, but like he he in this movie plays clearly what is an alcoholic, right? Like, I as far as I know, Tom Atkins is a teetotaler. Like he he just doesn't drink. And so I don't know if it's his choice to portray it this way or if he was directed to like share it, share a jug of rot gut with a homeless person. Mm-hmm. It's just out on the street somewhere. <laughs> yeah. um, don't you feel like some of this, though, like in relation to those incidents and stuff and those kind of things, because I, I, I've seen a couple of Carpenter movies um and I'm a big fan, right? But I feel like you get a lot of those kind of moments. Like this film felt very Carpenter in it does some good ways and some bad ways. But yeah. I'm gonna let you finish. Oh that. yeah, no, no, yeah. Like the um, and and to be honest, I feel like it was a it was a direction because throughout the film we've seen that he's like he. I don't think. There is a single woman other than the wife of the the salesman that Tom Atkins does not just have lots of sex with in this movie inexplicably. Um because yeah. the the whole reason he gets into the, <laughs> this movie is that the guy who's killed in the very first scene um his body is being uh uh I there's an autopsy being done on it, I, being reviewed, I guess. And Tom Atkins bangs the medical examiner. Um, His daughter randomly runs into Tom Atkins in a bar in the middle of the day and says, hey, there's some secrets uh, about his death. We got to go figure them out. And so he just joins up with her. He's married. He has kids. Yeah, it's actually it's his ex-wife. Oh, oh okay, That's so they are. Div- okay, <laughs> and you know why? You know why they're divorced, right? And this is why I think it's a direction. So, so when they get to um, uh, Santa Mira to sh- tour the Silver Shamrock Factory, which makes these lovely uh, Halloween masks. Which, let's be honest, those masks probably would have killed kids, regardless of of druid magic. <laughs> Yeah, the fumes. The fumes after a little sweat. The fumes alone would have knocked some kids out, if not given them mesothelioma 30 years down the road. Um, Like, those masks were, like, their fate was to kill children. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, It just... They've just been enhanced enhanced by each mask having a chip from Stonehenge put it (laughs) to respond to uh the 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 program that silver shamrock yeah. is airing um yeah this commercial frequency wave kind of and, thing and and yeah. it's i don't know how the magic works it apparently turns children into vermin because lots of the masks just kind of deflate and like centipedes and shit comes spilling out of the mouth um yeah i think it's meant to be like a a dimensional thing like it's supposed to cause like some kind of dimensional transformation but the kids are also any the mr exposition the main baddie at the end talks about how they're meant to be sacrifices yeah. but each time that occurs like that flashing etc they're meant as like a sacrifice for some purpose <laughs> he doesn't really indicate why right. 
or, or to what deity he's doing this to, but they are sacrificed in that. Realm. Yeah. Like they will. And <laughs> anyway, his, his drinking is to the point that, yeah, like his, his ex-wife probably divorced him because of his drinking, but when, well, and it's, it's a womanizing because like, you you meant like that he's obviously had a relationship with that coroner in the past. He's probably trying to tap it with that nurse that uh, is with him at night, but she's just like, yeah, you're too. I feel like they have for me, or like they they might have. I, I don't see otherwise why you would slap the ass of a nurse and I get her the, not file. A good I get place. the feeling they have before, and he may have like passed out, <laughs> right? Like one mm-hmm. of those type situations. Um, but yeah, like this, the, uh, who, who is it that plays the daughter? Um, what's her name? Stacy Nelkin. She would have been, she would have been 20 in this movie, right? Tom Atkins is, is a grown ass man. Um, like they hook up twice. At At least least, three times. Yeah. Okay. So at least three times. This 20-year-old hooks up with a an older man who drinks with hobos at a hobo fire no. <laughs> right afterwards. Um it's no. it's very, very uh, strange the 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 choices they make. But again, I think this is direction because at the very end when they realize what's going on. Tom Atkins calls his wife and just kind of yells into the phone at her, don't let him watch TV, take off the mask. <laughs> like her reaction is understandably, yeah, sure, drunkie, sure. <laughs> yeah. It's like, and then she's like, you're just jealous because she, she got those nice masks. Yeah. And he came home with these reject masks. And... I, he, yeah, she does think he's drunk and stuff, but it, it's sort of he's made his own bed. In that I mean, it's it's yeah. funny too that because it, I had to stop myself and go, "Oh, right, there used to only be three channels where he's like call the heads of television and have them stop it, mm-hmm. and like two of them don't air the commercial, and the third one does, and then yeah, the the movie just kind of ends on this like this horror that. A, a third of the country potentially is turned into rotting bugs. <laughs> yeah. Sacrifice. Um, but no, it's like, I, how, how does this random dude get the, the head of television online? <laughs> like, I know a lot of things are sacrificed for the expediency of the story, but uh-huh. um, no, this movie That's is... That's Carpenter-esque, though, yeah. you know? Like, oh, They're all companies, whatever. We, they know each other. We need this to happen. We need this to happen. So he's got their numbers. I don't care how, but we need this scene. So just make it happen. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, they've established in the movie at this point that, like, every kid in America has one of these masks on. Um, like, mm-hmm. they... Atkins and, um, and the young woman get to tour the Silver Shamrock factory with the number one seller of... <laughs> of these Halloween masks in the country um, as kind of a, a, a thank you while he's there. So so he's a, a Halloween mask salesman, which I was not aware was a position you could hold, but... <laughs> yeah, I'm guessing he's just like a retailer that's... Yeah, I, I assume so. Yeah. yeah, like I... <laughs> he's probably the, the business. He, he owns whatever 
precursor to uh, Spirit Halloween there was. Um, probably just owns. Yeah, Spirit I mean, Halloween. it might be a exactly. Spirit Halloween. <laughs> when did Spirit Halloween start? Let's see. He started it. Spirit Halloween. There's a Spirit Halloween movie coming out. Jesus Christ. Yeah, it was founded in 83. He could very well have uh, started it after this movie. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> that's that's my new headcanon is that the salesman yes. in this movie started Spirit Halloween. <laughs> yeah, that's why Spirit Halloween never exists for too long because the 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 uh, the black the black magic surrounding it <laughs> only exists in a space for such a amount of time. But uh, yeah, no, like this movie is not really a horror movie. Um, this kind of is more in line with the original vision that Carpenter had before they were like, no, you're making a second one. It's got to make 20 times the budget or the, the, um, the take of the first one. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I much more like the idea of them making anthology movies, um, for the season. Yeah. Anthology with horror is, is nice because, um, it's it's really hard. I know I mentioned this. It's really hard to do the mystery element with the same kind of material again and again and again and again. And so then it becomes something different, you know, yeah. like Saw becomes like a spectacle in itself for like uh, for the the genre piece that this is and the body horror and the characters we've established. And so there's more like a like an entertainment value from yeah. that, you know, for that kind of material. Uh, whereas genuinely, you know, you watch the first one, you're like, oh, I'm not really sure what's going on here, uh, but this is kind of weird. And then there's moralizing kind of at the end for the character. And so it's like, oh, well, this is why he was doing it. It's, oh, wow, he's actually here the whole time, you know. And so you, I feel the horror really needs that sense of mystery. And it's hard to have mystery when you know the conceit. At the beginning, yeah. you know it's Michael Myers all over. You know what he's about doing, Michael Myers stuff. Yeah, <laughs> he's going to chop some people yeah. up. <laughs> so, um, I'd say to kind of go on my piece for this this movie um, is that uh, I think it would have been a much stronger movie if um, it didn't have such issues with pacing. And I think you get that with Carpenter sometimes where yeah. there's a lot of fat that could be trimmed in this movie. Yeah, I mean, I th- um, if I remember correctly, there's a reason they didn't, because I don't think the runtime is very long. It's an hour and 38 minutes. It's about 45 minutes too long, Zach. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's 98 minutes. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it does have some pacing. Like, there's there's really no it, no reason for us to see how much of an alcoholic Tom Atkins is. Like, I, I get it from the mm-hmm. instances that we we see it um, mm-hmm. along the way. You know, there's a very naturalistic style. I think sometimes with Carpenter, which I think it works yeah. when when you have like the tension and like. Uh, for something like the thing, yeah. you know, or you have where it's like, oh, you get to experience this moment with the person. And so it's like almost like a, a documentary ish kind of style, not strictly, but it's a little more naturalistic where you're not trying to push them from one one moment, one beat to the next. Like the whole beat is like, here's this shot and we're going to watch this dude walk from here all the way to the office. Yes. Um, and then 
uh, the office of the motel. And then once he's trying to escape these creatures, we're going to watch him run to this area and hide. And then we're going to watch him do this very nimble acrobatic <laughs> toss into the bushes. Like he is... He is much more in shape for a man of his age than you would expect. He really is. Uh, and you can see that he jogs, and or he does some kind of calisthenic activity. Because he's in very good shape. And then he runs there, and then he runs in another section. And then when he's back into the factory, he's running across here. He's running across the rooftop. It's like, that's, you know, you got maybe, you could do like a minute and a half what you took five minutes to do. But he wants to let it breathe, and I respect that. Like I said, I do appreciate slow pacing for things. Holy shit! But he slow was pacing. Forty six when he shot this movie. He is in fantastic yeah. shape. Yeah, yeah, he's very nimble. That's eighties forty six too. Like he's probably been smoking yes. for thirty five of those years. <laughs> yeah, so he's in he's in good shape. Um, so because I'm watching him, uh, this is a scene I didn't turn to my wife, and I was like, I'm watching him run through the factory and then climb into the second story window and then hop over and it's like I wonder how many of my peers at my age could actually do what this man is doing currently because he gets to the end of this that that whole run scene and he's not like he's just like just like cool as a cucumber and I was like man we are so out of shape like we We've really gone downhill as an American society. <laughs> this guy's just killing it. Um, so, like that. And that's one example there. And then you have this intrigue and stuff that gets set up with the factory and, uh, was it Lucky Shamrock? Is Silver Shamrock. Silver Shamrock. And the owner and whatnot. And so you have scenes where there's, like, genuine tension um but it's just it's it breathes so much, um, and even that that whole like intrigue section is like okay we we get it, you know, <laughs> there's something going on here. You can move to that already, but he really wants you to sit and experience it, and it works in a film like I think like Halloween because you have this tension that's built up, you have these punctuating sparks of like seeing Michael Myers. And then you don't see him, and then you just have the release, like right at the end yeah. of the movie. You know, a really dynamic action. You know, yeah. I mean, people really forget that Halloween is only about an hour and a half. I mean, and that's mm -hmm. with the very, very short credits at the end. Like, yeah, and there's a <clears throat> there's a lot of breathing in Halloween yeah. as well. Like, you don't really get a lot of screen time with Michael Myers at oh. all, but the the lead up to it is interesting, and it's like, oh, like. Uh, oh, what's going on here? And Jamie Lee Curtis is really charismatic in her role. And so then you're like there with her character in that moment of tension to build up. Whereas I feel like you get a lot of breathing in this movie and there isn't any payoff to it. You know? <laughs> there just isn't any it's... payoff. The concept is solid. And I think that's where you're, you yeah. really get your teeth into well, like, it. It's like the concept is Something neat. that I, I would like to to point out, too, is that a sci-fi novelist was hired to do this screenwriting, the, the, the screenplay. Mm -hmm. I kind of want to read the book that this would have been mm -hmm. because, I you know, everyone will try to adapt films, but like, or film, um, books to film people should adapt short stories to film. <laughs> you have much less time mm -hmm. to do stuff. And so I'm wondering if a lot of like the pacing and 
Um, maybe maybe the book goes would have gone in places that um, they just wouldn't have done on screen. Maybe they would explain why, you know, as a doctor, he's drinking in a bar at 1030 in the morning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you'd have the backstory for that. So you'd have investment in the character. As it is, you just have this unhinged man playing detective with a 20-year-old <laughs> in yeah. Northern California somewhere. Um, yeah. and I always forget that he's divorced from his wife. So like every time I watch it, like, I guess I just miss that part, that part of the conversation. I'm just like, what is this guy doing? Why is he on this road trip? What does he give yeah. a shit that this lady found new evidence that her father was, was, uh, killed in a different manner? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can obviously see like, there's the mystery element yeah. to it where he's like, he's obviously shaken in the actor's portrayal of it by what happened to this man and he wants to know. Yeah. But then he's also like making a pit stop to buy some beer <laughs> so that he can go shack up with this this hottie. Because uh, that's just in his nature is the womanizing. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot, like there's hints of a backstory with like that in the coroner. And like he's obviously had like a relationship with her because um, she talks about going out for dinner later and whatnot and he's schmoozing her. But like the coroner talking about fat, uh, not physical fat. Yeah, narrative, narrative fat, fat that they could have um, just cut. There's no reason yeah. for her. There's there, the only reason that she's there is so that there's somebody else that he can talk to on the phone that's outside of there because none of her inspection things actually amount to anything. Like she realizes, oh, these are mechanical people, which from a narrative perspective, that would have hit a lot more if, like, we didn't already know yeah. this. Like, <laughs> it wasn't already strongly implied, and we didn't already see the main character, like, punch into someone and then rip some wires yeah. out. So she doesn't really serve from that kind of punch and delivery. We don't feel her surprise when she feels it. It's like, oh, yeah, we know. Yeah, right, yeah, like, we're... <clears throat> We're we're already several steps ahead of the character, so like it's a yes. pointless mystery. Um, yes. Yeah. No. The uh, the and you know I would like a little bit more explanation for what why is is Connell Cochran um, what is he sacrificing these children for during Samhain? You know, like what, like, can we talk about that a little bit more? Like, it doesn't make it eldritch or anything because you don't say what they're doing. <laughs> it just means. He says, he says it's the greatest joke, which he yeah. mentions. It's like, sure. Yeah. Okay. But... <laughs> um, and then also they did this 3000 years ago. So it's time. It's time to do this again. It's kind of what I feel his vibe is. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, like with with them cutting um, people like the 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 coroner, um, the surprise that they're robots or whatever. Now you're left with a seventy minute movie, and so now I don't remember when the distinction between feature length and short were were discussed by Nate. Not mm -hmm. not the the big NATO, the the one that doesn't matter and no one gives a shit about. Um, mm -hmm. The theater owners organization um you know like you used to have a problem with going into feature length movies and they would be like an hour mm -hmm. like i'm thinking specifically of like nightmare before christmas um yeah 
well then, Zach, you just put something actually interesting in the movie instead. (laughs) (laughs) I don't feel like that's an actual problem. You shoot something else that's interesting instead. (laughs) (laughs) No, exactly. Like, this... this, um... Mm -hmm. Yeah, like, this movie could have been done better. I still say that it's... It is infinitely more watchable to me than, like, H2O. Yeah, yeah, or a lot of these other um, ones. Even the David um, Gordon Green remake is, it's interesting, but it, it it operates along the same premise as that um, eagerly anticipated RoboCop 2 does, where they're just like, yeah, we're going to ignore every single sequel. We're just going to make our movie a sequel to the first one because fuck those people. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, there was a lot of effort put into to doing this. Like, you're not going to reboot the entire thing. Like, that would be preferable, I think, because then you're telling a different mm-hmm. story than yeah. telling the same story. But fuck everyone else. Like, <laughs> I don't know. It just seems kind of disrespectful. <laughs> um, yeah. I could see it. I could see it. Um yeah, so this is uh, interesting from um, from a what could have been done different perspective for me. Yeah. But I I also I watched this with my wife as well and had a partner for analyzing what Zach was thinking <laughs> while we were watching this. Um, and she's like, oh, okay, well, I don't ever need to see that movie again. <laughs> that was her opinion on that. <laughs> also why is this man womanizing like is this a softcore porn movie with like less like it's it, it it's doesn't the, 80s. the thing is well it's not even just i feel like the 80s because you get you get these 80s horror movies that have that element and it's supposed to set up like moralizing by the vicious monster um or like uh you know um a, a mystique and attraction to the to the macabre and to the horror, like you even get that with the first Hellraiser. Like she sees this guy, it's just like nothing, yeah. you know. But there's a, there's a certain draw to that too, um, and there's a certain draw to like the murder. And so I think that kind of uh, externalizes like the draw and attraction of like the macabre and the dark and like the mystique that you feel sometimes as horror fans. So I feel like there's. There's a reasoning for that. Um, and Michael Myers, or more likely Jason, chopping up kids having sex is moralizing, you know, um, and also like titillating in a way. So that's like I can feel 80s, etc. But this interaction, I feel like, is supposed to set up like a backstory that's missing, like you were saying, you know, um, and meet on the character that's missing. But also, like, if you have a, a longer form series, like a, like a novel yeah. length, you can set up the relationship between these two characters. Mm-hmm. And so you can make her disappearance and death hit and mean so much more. Um, because, like, oh, they, like, hit it off and et cetera, they're invested. It comes across as, like, this weird fling this guy's doing and this string of these weird flings, which can also be effective if we're... We're trying to, which I think is kind of the intent in in some of the the mm-hmm. setup that they put with it, to where like this guy has made his own bed, like he's tried to do the right thing and like stopping this atrocity from happening, 
but his kids are, are dead, ostensibly, because he's made his own yep. bed. Because he's screwed up his relationships, uh, his wife doesn't believe him, um, and this is why this, really the most horrific event that he can think of is happening to him, and also that he has to experience it. Uh, which is kind of like uh, moralistic, but it's also kind of like, uh, you know, this is the, the the moral to the story kind of line of storytelling. Yeah. And so I feel like that's what they're trying to set up through all of that, uh, but it, it doesn't pay off in the way that it could. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, th- <laughs> don't get me wrong. I, I know full well that this is not a good movie. Just like I said with <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons. I find it extremely entertaining because it lets me imagine things. Exactly. <laughs> like you yeah. said. Um, yeah, I, I, I much prefer a film that will take some chances, whether they are successful or not <laughs> in taking those chances. Even if they're not intentional chances. Even if chances. they're not intentional <laughs> chances. Um, yeah, no, like there's... Well, like filmmakers say, all that matters is what's on the screen. And if that's what gets conveyed in the form, then that's that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's no purpose in me watching, like, I don't know, the Sex and the City movie. Like, that's not to be dismissive. I'm mm-hmm. sure there are people that enjoy that movie, but it's it's mm-hmm. going to look a certain way. It's going to follow certain beats. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, I don't know. This this movie is so much more interesting to me than Halloween 4, which is the return of Michael Myers. Um, isn't that what? The, yeah, the return of Michael Myers. Because they, they wanted to be real clear when they made the sequel to this one. He's coming back, guys. Don't worry. <laughs> and I think it ended up making way less than this movie, too, because it's not very good. Um, yeah. like it's, it just turns into a series of slasher movies. Um, mm-hmm. which I mean, the first one was kind of like, he kills a lot of babysitters, but I, I don't think that there's any moralizing, which is what you need for a slasher movie. Like the, um, Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th both have that element of uh, morality included. Yeah, there's a little bit implied with like his attraction to his sister, I think, because I think she's like getting dolled up like upstairs and he's just like watching that happen. Anyways, that's more like psychoanalysis. Well, that's Um, not. um, So Jamie Lee Curtis is not revealed as his sister until the second one. Because I guess they. Well, no, that's no, that's the relation, yeah. right? I don't. Is she the? I mean, the the girl that he ends up. Killing. Oh, oh, like in the very, very beginning. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. There's like an attraction there. I, I feel like was what being the because he's he's literally just watching. Yeah. Her, you know, in a in a very um, what do they call that? Uh, peeping, peeping Tom. Tom there's boy. a. Yeah, but peeping Tom, but there's a, a word for that yeah. activity. Um, Anyways, um, yeah, there's an intensity to that. Um, uh, voyeurism, yeah, oh, okay. voyeuristic aspect of that. 
Um, yeah, and it, even like when he's watching, like she's in the window and he's like in the yard next to like the clotheslines, he's voyeuristically watching her from a distance. And it's that attraction to her. And I mean, um, Jamie Lee Curtis Right, but it's not like he's not killing her because, like, honestly, I think it's a, it's more, it's a more realistic insight for um, how, like, serial killers operate. (laughs) Because, like, he's, Mm -hmm. he's like, she is the focus of his, his attention. His attention is not drawn to her because of whatever whatever moral reason whereas like jason is 100 percent well mrs Voorhees, jason whoever is 100 percent focused on oh these kids be fucking in the woods i gotta kill them oh yeah he's, <laughs> like, he's not there as yeah. retribution yeah but there's just an attraction right. element right yeah that's what i was yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. um so yeah no like this is this is the halloween that is not the slasher um i think it would be very very funny if Halloween ends just is a remake of this one. <laughs> Oof, um, I uh, I cannot see how that would that would really that would, work. I mean, it would really piss off a whole lot of people, and it would I would find it very very funny. <laughs> I don't see how that no, would no, work. it wouldn't. <laughs> yeah. Uh, can we can we really watch him outside? Because uh, there's and just kind of like walking around in like digital, like red camera, like sharpness. I think we need the film green to soften it. Um, oh no! You know bit. what? You know what you do is you have Halloween ends, and you bring back Tom Atkins' uh, character, and he's just in some some horrible wasteland, um, mm-hmm. where where kids have have been killed for listening to to some jingle. Um, yeah, no, he's almost ninety. Bring back his ninety-year-old ass and have him have him be the protagonist. Just hard drinking Tom Atkins. So that's that's a more interesting movie, <laughs> um, and I think I think that's a more interesting movie than the one we watched because because conceptually it was interesting what had occurred and what what we get to, but it just takes so damn long to get to that point. And so now that we got to this point, we can envision a world where, okay, what happens after this happened? Like, what has he been doing? Has he been, like, fighting off and helping investigate these, like, eldritch horror, like, creatures and creations? Like, is he trying to, like, stamp out other people that are trying to rebroadcast this again? Yeah. You know, because let's say people recorded this, you know, on their VHSs. Um, and so, like, this becomes a piece of media that is quite literally, um, like, outlawed and banished. But wh- how do you even do that? Especially now in, like, a digital age. There's got to be, like, a whole agency <laughs> associated with, like, timestamping and everything. So that's so much more interesting because we've we've already had to live through the setup of yeah. this movie. And so now we can actually play with these concepts. Yeah. Um exactly like i mean think about it they did it with ghostbusters afterlife where they're just like oh people forgot that there was just actual literal evidence of a fucking afterlife oh what you didn't know your granddad did (laughs) 
Sorry. Yeah, like people, you can say anything and, and the audience will believe it. Just be like, yeah, no, kids turning into bugs because of a commercial? What? You're you're insane. That never happened. It happened mm-hmm. in living memory, my man. <laughs> It was uh, it was passed off because let's say it only occurred in a small segment because that one third station <laughs> cut off their broadcast, but because of like desyncs or like rebroadcasting from local yeah. stations, the local station didn't get the message, and <laughs> they it's they still had it happen. So it's let's say it's like a small geographic yeah. area of like a couple cities and municipalities. So those kids only really died in that area. And then that was explained away as like seizures, yeah, you know, or something, something related yeah. to like <laughs> something small because of the flashing sure. lights and signals that occur in the movies. Yeah, yeah. And so then we have uh, a point where, yeah, you could have a believable kind of thing, and then you could go into, um, you know, this is only one of the sacrifices, and et cetera, and maybe this has happened in other periods and times, and so that could be. Um, you know, an interesting jumping off point. See, now what I'm I'm going to do is I'm going to spend the rest of my life writing the sequel to Halloween 3. We're going to have Halloween 3B. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and you get, you're going to get such an audience. It's going to be... It'll be fantastic. You're going to have the diehard Halloween 3 fans here. <laughs> and I think, I think this movie does have a fan base just because um, they respect more... You know, they respect that it was more in line with being an anthology and it was something different um on the take of the concept of a halloween which Um, i mean if like there are lots of things that still serve up that itch like um each season of american horror story is a different thing with same actors um which actually speaking of that this movie is technically an anthology because dick warlock who's his the best name stuntman ever is the <laughs> that is his real name as well is dick warlock um who played uh, michael myers in halloween 2 is also the android in this one um and then jamie lee curtis does some announcement voices i think in this one um as well so this technically is an anthology uh, in the traditional sense. But yeah, no, American Horror Story uh, works. Um, Masters of Horror is a really cool show um, that I recommend people watch. Like, the first... I think the first episode of the first season is done by John Carpenter, and it's called Cigarette Burns, and it's probably one of the most horrific horror visual medium things I've ever watched. Um mm. It's fantastic. <laughs> but now we're talking about other stuff, so that probably means the the time for this episode is done. Did you have any final thoughts on this film? Uh, it was... It, is, it definitely... I felt every minute of its runtime. It is interesting in some ways. It's, it's interesting, I think, from... Like a what if? What... Yeah, what if the made-up movie we just made was, I think, more interesting than the one I actually watched. Because <laughs> um, it just, I think it does have a lot of issues with pacing and with character development. Because they, there's, I don't, I don't want pacing, because sometimes pacing is taken, like, okay, don't you don't get the characters to breathe. 
you don't get to experience their actions and reactions to each other and like uh, in, in a way that allows you like investment because like let's say you have a scene um uh from like uh, uh no country for yeah. old men like you have a lot of scenes where you're just sitting and obviously a way different genre and time period and etc but also has a book as a backing you know mm-hmm. and whatnot and a story so you get scenes where characters get to really really experience each other and like interact and so you don't feel even though like that scene in the 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 corner store in a really famous scene with mm-hmm. the coin flip or the scene with um woody harrelson where he's sitting across from him and they're each interacting with each other and there's a lot of tension there and you just give that time to kind yeah. of play out you have that kind of time in this movie but there's not a payoff for it you know um and so i think that movie i mean i think even has a greater runtime so i think pacing for me makes sense not when you're trying to rush through like with choppy quick cuts and like god these characters just talking so much um because <laughs> there's probably people that think no country for old men's a boring yeah. movie oh probably not yeah. explosion yeah uh but when you you have like things in the space there and you get to fill that up and you get to like build a world either a world of interactions or a world of different details um and so there's interesting little bits like the the mechanotrons like the section where he has he goes down underneath in like this little museum he's puts up like these little animatronic Mm-hmm. creatures these mechanized uh yeah. toys basically and so then we see you know this thing from 1875 and he says it's all super rare would have been really interesting to maybe see some of the other steps he's made with yeah. these robots <laughs> or to meet an area where there's only one of them like let's say from like the top yeah. half you know and it's just like you can see it mechanically moving but you can hear like the like the gears yeah. etc really lean into the sci-fi oh, yeah. of it. Um, if you're going to, and then because um, the 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 bit where um, that girl's character like gets turned into a robot is like, oh yeah, this is going to happen, obviously. Um, but there's no real intrigue related to that. She's like on a table. We don't even see him like being yeah. menacing, you know. Um, <laughs> we don't even see anything related to that. Um, and so, yeah, it just, it, it's, it's more interesting in a what if, or like, oh, I kind of see what they were doing here. Then it ends up yeah. being from a pacing perspective. Um, and then like another movie, like John Carpenter's The Thing, there's, there's talking, there's people interacting with yeah. each other. And yeah, there's really cool monsters. But the scene that really sticks with you is like, they're talking to each other, accusing each other of being you know, having one of these creatures inside, I'm like, oh, okay, well, how do we find yeah. out? And it's like, oh, well, we could, we could do this, you know, because we noticed that this happened. And so you're really, really invested in this slow moment. There's none of that here, you know, that kind of tension and interaction. Um, and there could be a lot of reasons for that. I mean, but uh, I like what they were trying to do, and I respect that. And I think they set up an interesting premise um that could have could have been done could have ended up yeah. differently 
you know, I obviously don't make movies, you know, it's yeah. not my profession, but just from like a watching perspective. Okay. Okay. That's it for me. Yeah. I, um, yeah, we'll go out on that then. <laughs> because <laughs> I, uh, I, I like this movie. I think, uh, it could use a whole lot of work, um, narratively. Uh, in terms of direction, in terms of set design, uh, it's a it's kind of a bland movie when you when you strip out the fact that there's killer robots and nightmare yes. masks in it. Um, my my wife might have said a couple times, "This is so boring." <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> that's fine. She was mostly taking a nap of my shoulder. Oh, okay, so that's fine. It's perfect for that. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, no. The uh, <clears throat> book club book is Childhood's End um, by Arthur C. Clarke. Uh, and then next time, Richard and I will be discussing PG Psycho Goreman. Man, I need to start getting some of my movies up on the schedule. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you have them. You have them. This is this is the onesie twosie for the uh, the Resident Evil movies. <laughs> Oh man! Or not Resident oh, Evil movies, the Resident couple, Evil game series. <laughs> I got a couple. I got a couple months yeah. to wait here. Yeah. Oh Jesus. Um. But anyway, let's see. After after let's see. Psycho Gorman. Yeah, there's four. There's four between uh, right now where we are right now, and then yours, and then it's just okay. kind of one one and one. Yeah, we should call this the this podcast. How long can we be friends? We should rename. Well, them. we'll see. Um, I think. I think even if the material isn't good, the conversations I'll, I'll are. I think good, that so. I, I really think that uh, you will feel differently about Psycho Gorman. Um, right. I mean, you're not really here to please me. This is a uh, we're here to just go over the material. Yeah. And have fun doing yeah. It, so. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it should be fun too. So. Conversations are fun. Okay, well that's good. <laughs> Digging into my psyche. <laughs> yep. Getting real closer. I'm gonna watch. Uh, um, gonna date this, but I'm gonna be watching um, Doctor Strange in a couple hours. So, Multiverse of Madness. Um, so that'd be a good palette. Oh well, good. Good. <laughs> I'm gonna watch him go from a movie where we watched a man run across different areas into bushes very athletically, <laughs> mind you. So I'm still impressed by that. Um, to one where I'm sure something will be happening on the screen like every 30 seconds. So. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've, uh, mm -hmm. I can't wait to see that movie because it's. Um, I just like Doctor Strange. I, I like his mm -hmm. whole set of storylines in the MCU thus far. So, and I've heard some good stuff about there may be a sprinkling of some horror elements in here, and I think that's interesting because it's not what I expected, even though that's what they said. Like, way back after one happened, they're like, We want it. No, it oh, yeah, no, no, yeah, I, I like, remember the initial it. marketing. Yeah. I, I don't know how much they're gonna do that. Like, I think Marvel is very yeah. because they're Disney run, they're very like. Mm -hmm averse to putting anything resembling horror of a certain level in there 
Even if even if you yeah. have Sam Raimi yeah, directing, not... like it's like, well, then why have? Yeah. That? So, well, I'm I'm intrigued by what those comments even yeah. come from because of that reason. I can't see them uh, really leaning into that um, in any sort of real respect. Uh, and even Sam, I'm sure Sam Raimi's done, but from the Evil Dead stuff that I've ingested lovingly, the horror is. Uh, it's anyways. We won't go into that, but the horror of a Sam Raimi thing is is, is the shock and almost like the uh, the humor, the joy. I guess the joy in the horror, you know. Um, yeah, because even in the first movie, you get the whole dance scene, or in the second movie, rather, you get the whole dance scene with his girlfriend, and that's a it's it's an intense scene, you know, with like the kind of still yeah. motion things. But it's also like it's kind of funny. Got a very it's kind of funny. It's got a marionette mm-hmm. aspect to it. There's like a humor and a play on that, and so there's like the roller coaster. It really the roller coaster yeah. ride of like the horror element. So I'm thinking maybe they'll skirt. He'll skirt towards that a little bit, to where it's like written. I'm, I mean, I'm just interested to see. Have what you happens. seen um, WandaVision? Mm-hmm. I yeah. I imagine a lot of the horror comes from Scarlet Witch, like learning stuff from the Dark Hold. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we we obviously in the trailer, so this isn't yeah. spoiling anything, unless someone hasn't seen the trailer. Or seen an image from, of, the, trailer. from the trailer. Yeah, like the, it's all but through I, the trailer. I, from yeah, that's why I'm not being very specific because, like, yeah, no, it's yeah. <laughs> I, you we get we get a spoiler warning, guys. One, two, three, four, five. We get a zombie Doctor yeah. Strange. So we have that, and so I'm guessing it'll be through elements of that. Um. Yeah, it's going to be a fun one. can't wait ride. for this live-action Marvel Zombies movie. <laughs> I mean, what? I mean, I don't know that that's happening or not. I know that there's an animated show coming out for zombies. Yes. And, but with the MCU now having a zombie strange, does this mean they're they're amping us up for a zombies film? Who knows? Probably not. Uh, probably not. <laughs> I mean, couldn't they do it, I though? mean, I'm... <laughs> I'm not in charge they of could Marvel do it. for I, a reason, but I would do very different things than they've, they've chosen to do. <laughs> yeah. I feel like they're just trying to ride the train, you know, of success and then see what else they yeah. can do in offshoots. Um, because, you know, uh, reality willing, we're going to be riding this train for a bit. Um, yeah, like... So there's there's so much other material they can explore. Like you could have, I don't want Walking Dead levels of grim in my zombie Marvel universe, but you could at least have some interesting situations. In so my suspicion that. is that with with Disney Plus being a thing, they're going to ramp the fuck out of how on top of it you have to be to enjoy the movies. Um, mm-hmm. like Feige has said that there's. Like, they're not referring to it as phases anymore internally. Like, they're referring to it mm-hmm. as pre-end game and post-end game. Because, like, they're treating all of the properties as um, inherent stacking blocks on one another. 
which is kind of frustrating. Mm-hmm. Like I kind of like being able to just see the movie and enjoy the movie. Like I don't want to have to have watched Falcon and the Winter Soldier to appreciate Black Widow, right? Um, I mean, you, yeah. you don't have to, yeah. but <laughs> like that was probably yeah. a poor example. But I, I feel like what they're doing in this, um section of what they're covering is probably mm-hmm. they're probably going to start leaning way more into um like multiplicity and maybe even scroll stuff like doubles yeah because mm-hmm. everything i mean it's for sure yeah they've set up the, the scrolls and, yeah like yeah. they've they've set up the scrolls and pre pre end game um yeah, and they set up quite a heel turn for them, too, which I'm interested to see how that happens. Yeah. This has to be a heel turn. I'm thinking maybe it's what's-his-name's son yeah. who's had to experience, like, being ostracized and, like, I put out. I assume so. Almost losing his um, dad. Yeah, because he was he was kind of a character, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it'll, it'll definitely make it interesting, the them focusing on doubles and multiplicity, if, if that's what they're doing. But I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> to, yeah. To, to, to kind of launch off, because I, I know we've talked about this before in regards to be having a need to have consumed all the content to appreciate future content. I feel like there's uh, there's a danger in that, but I, I also feel like they could probably just approach it in the way that the comics mm-hmm. often do. Like I could just pick up like a Spider-Man or a Hawkeye comic, and unless it's part of like an arc of like one of three yeah. of something, I can just appreciate sure. it for what it is. And then if they give a reference to like, oh, this is something that happened here, then you can just go read that thing. You know, if you're really interested to see, oh man, how did Daredevil get here? You know, what's going on here? Why is he friends with the Kingpin right now? Ostensibly, in order to get this gold done. Oh, maybe that happened in some of the previous stuff before. And so I feel like maybe that's what they're going to try to do to where it'll enrich in your current experience, but you can still just jump in. Um, Cause I've watched, I've watched all of the series coming out. Um, there's a level of connection and disconnect that occurs with each series. Um, you could watch Loki without any of the other ones. And I feel like so far you could, really just do that with yeah. any of them like one division sort of stands separate the same thing with captain uh you know captain falcon and the winter soldier like it helps if you've seen the yeah. movies because then you know oh where's captain america i can't imagine why you would be watching that right if you hadn't um maybe what they're wanting to do by kind of arcing it uh, by cutting it out we have the four phases this is the groundwork you know, if you've taken in the groundwork, then you're going to understand what this splits off into yeah. from here. You know, because we've covered enough ground. We've covered all the way to space. You've seen the Celestials, you know, even in like little yeah. one shots of the Avengers movie where he's like cleansing, you know, a, uh, yeah. a planet ostensibly because you see them all vaporize. So we set the groundwork here. You get this groundwork in anywhere up later on, you can... It's going to make sense, sure. you know, and if you're interested, you can go back in. So I'm, I'm hoping that's what they do, you know, 
I mean, it's um, it's what they're going to have to do because they're on what what is Doctor Strange? Is it the twenty eighth film? Mm-hmm. I think it's the twenty eighth. Like at a certain mm-hmm. point, they're going to have to be like, okay, this is a sequel to the other one, so you need to at least have seen the other films. Like they're not going to uh-huh. be one offs unless they start doing really banana shit with <laughs> with one off characters. I'm all for it. I'm all for it. Give me one yeah, shot. I mean, movies. yeah, like I'm, f- I'm fine with it. that. I don't give a shit. I'll watch it. Um, but yeah, no, like yeah. I'm, and I'm not the type of person to really be overly um, interested in it necessarily, or or like offended at spoilers, right? But say someone yeah. mm-hmm. um, had access to Disney Plus only, right, and they didn't, they weren't seeing any of the movies, right? Like it would kind of be frustrating to have to watch Hawkeye if you have not seen Black, uh, mm-hmm. Black Widow. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, like I can, I can see the right type of nerd getting pissed off about that. And there's more of them, I think, than would yeah. be. <laughs> well, would you get the thing about it is I'm guessing in that case, from a practical perspective, you can see Black Widow because it's right yeah. there next to it. In the Disney Plus, I feel like it, oh yeah, I mean that's I think true. your initial concern was yeah. like <laughs> I think your initial concern, which I think was also like oh well, that makes a lot of sense. Was like okay, if they include things in the show, in the shows that tailor into what's happening yeah. in the films, and you don't have a reference to the shows, yeah. um, which could happen for some people, like. Uh, my mother, who is going to go watch this movie, who I can guarantee you is not seeing one division. <laughs> so she's going to be like, why is this crazy witch lady making all these problems? <laughs> it's not no. going to make sense to her. But that, I'm guessing she's not the kind of fan that would like have to really, really dive deep into it. Because there's, there's, there's different kinds of fan yeah. tracks. There's people that are going to watch it and you want them to be entertained and you want them to follow. You want to have enough in that this movie to where, okay, I, I can follow yeah. what's going along here. You know, if you can't do that, that's kind of a, a breakdown in storytelling. And you have the fans like myself who are like, well, I got nothing better to do. This is an entertaining escapism. I'm going to watch all of this, which yeah. is what I've done. Uh, and so but there's no disconnect there. I think if you lose if you lose the audience, um like my my mom, you're you're probably not hurting yourself, to be perfectly yeah. honest. Um but if you lose uh an audience where they don't have access to Disney Plus and then they they've seen the movies and then they get there and they're like, Oh well, I wanna watch the series well. They're Disney Plus, so yeah. you're going to have to get it. But you also get all the movies. Um, so I'm curious as to, as time goes on, how they interact with new fans. Because you're going to have to have new fans introduced to this material. Like the people who were like younger, like some of my nieces that saw like Iron Man and et cetera, all, and all the way up and are now teenagers well past and saw Avengers Endgame, you know, in Infinity War, there's a whole new slot yeah. that's coming up. Like they, they're going to have to see those too in order to really appreciate what's going on later on. Or maybe, maybe it'll be spectacle. 
Because um, what they don't want to have happen, at least in my mind, is they don't want to get to the point where comic publishers, the big ones, and some maybe even the smaller ones, where you got a reboot. You got a hard reboot because there's just too much shit. There's too much stuff yeah. to keep track of. Continuity is all over the place. We've got a hard reboot. Um, and DC's, DC's already doing that. And they haven't even made as many movies. And they're talking about a crisis on Infinite oh, Earths coming up. me the fuck up. Like, so, DC, if I... So, by the way, this is the second podcast on top of this podcast. Yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll end it we'll, soon. We'll soon. Just I just need to get out. I was... I was looking for some reason and I saw that they, <laughs> so they do Man of Steel in 2013. In 2014, they go, yeah, we're going to announce 10 films and they're all connected now. Um, in 2018, they go, okay, we're not connecting them anymore. Fuck that. Right. And then just last year they go, all right, all future movies are all connected again. So like, what are they doing? <laughs> I don't think they understand what they're doing. Um, I mean, yeah. I'm just, I'm just going to sit it's, back and enjoy it because. It's so funny because I think for a lot of years, at least for me, like in the other media that's DC and Warner brothers, are able to, namely the yeah. animated stuff, they've really had a great stride. Yeah. Like they've had a great stride. You have Batman, you know, you have Superman, and I've watched some of the Superman uh, cartoons um, just to kind of refresh. Like, this is actually cool. You know? The animated or, movies uh, that they put out for DC are fucking bangers. Yeah. They're, they're yeah. wild. <laughs> yeah, and you have like the adventures of Batman and Superman, which yeah. I remember watching, you know, yeah. kind of growing up. You have the Justice League. You understand where these characters mm -hmm. are coming from. You have... Uh, the very memeable and fairly recent uh, interaction between uh, Batman and Owlman. And you're like, wow, Owlman is like freaking nuts, you know? <laughs> and it's just like, wow, what charisma, you know? Uh, as well as, you know, just being a maniac. And it's, they just don't have that kind of direction. And I think really handle yeah. on the characters. Because um, Marvel isn't, isn't perfect in any respect. Like you get characters that don't get a lot of screen time because of et cetera. It's a movie, but they're interesting. So they're, they're put together in, in a particular way. Um, and so it's just that to not see that same level of like understanding and handling of a universe that has an ability for stories is just kind of, wow, you guys just really can't figure this out. And they want to ride like a yeah. train, you know, they, they wanted to ride the Snyder train for so long before now they're like, oh my God, we we want to get off the Snyder train. Um, and now the Snyder fans, you know, we're still standing hard. And I've watched the recut and it was the Snyder cut. It was it was better. Than yeah, the you know original. what it also so was? I'll give it that. Fucking six hours long <laughs> is what it was. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it would have been, you know, several several episodes in like a yeah. serialized form. But I was much more invested in characters and things made more sense. Um, and so, okay, you know, that that's at least someone with a vision, which I feel like you yeah. haven't really had. 
I don't. I don't need muted color palettes in DC. No, give me vibrant. Co- they're like, <laughs> they're comic book movies. <laughs> no, you gotta make them serious. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give it the the fight scene, and I think I've said this before with um, you know Batman v Superman. That fight scene where Batman Batfleck fights off those goon guys in uh, that warehouse is so good. It's It's so cool. It's so cool. You know, and so that's like at least someone understanding some of the comic booky nature of it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna piss a lot of people. Right, that fight scene is so much more dynamic and comic booky than any of the ones in the Batman movie that I just saw. Now. That doesn't mean that the Batman movie isn't film, in quotes. And film is great, okay? He's a comic book <laughs> character. He's supposed to be cool. The coolest part of him in that movie is... He, he can take a lot of shots to the body yeah. in the face um, without getting injured. And there are some cool elements in that movie. I'll give it that. Um, but there's still, like, a grounding in realism, uh, which... You, you, it's it's like if someone came up to me and said, "Let's ground the uh, the Greek gods in realism." Let's we want people to feel like Hercules really was birthed by by Zeus and some other random lady. So let's show Zeus banging some chick, you know, real like almost near NC seventeen level. We gotta ground this experience. <laughs> And it's like, well, do you really? Like, is that what you want to do with these mythic so, characters? I um, will say, <laughs> let me let me interject very quickly. Um, I what I go. would love to do is if they rebooted a Batman or a Superman every five years with a different actor and a different director and a different screenwriter, because mm-hmm. you know what we could have had before Nolan before. Uh, I, I think it was solely because the fountain performed so poorly is that Darren Aronofsky was originally going to do a Batman begins movie. Right. Oh, I and, remember that. And I remember being well, excited you, about that. <laughs> you can find the script online for it. Um, mm-hmm. It's wild. And I so want to see it. Like it reads like an Elseworlds comic. I have to see if I've downloaded it somewhere and can share it with you, but it's. Didn't he give a pitch? I let me get like to it. Let me get to pitch. it. <laughs> so okay. the pitch okay. is that Alfred is a mechanic and uh, mm-hmm. the, the Daggett trust has assassinated uh, Bruce's parents. And so Bruce doesn't realize he's like the scion of anything. So he's raised by Alfred in like a junkyard. <laughs> um, and mm-hmm. he just kind of goes out at night and acts like Jason. He just beats the shit out of criminals <laughs> and they were going to <laughs> go with it. And then the fountain yeah. shit the bed. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, you know what? We're going to go yeah. with something else. <laughs> um, that That's a really weird. Um, that That's a weird take on Batman. I'd like to see it. Um, I'm not a huge yeah. fan of Aronofsky, but I'm sure he could have made that interesting at least. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's enough. Yeah. Anyway, the book club book is Childhood's End. We're really gone now. Bye.